Hey everyone. Uh, you'll notice the scenery is a little different because for some reason yesterday's live stream didn't work. And so I'm going to try and give a version of the message um, from yesterday to the camera with the screen right here in my co-working space today. For those of you that were that missed it, or maybe you're serving in kid front, you couldn't be in Sunday service, or maybe you're sick at home and you couldn't be there. Maybe you're checking things out online and you haven't been with us in person. Man, we would love to meet you sometime, but we're so glad you're hanging with us online. But that means it's it's just gonna feel a little different in my delivery because there's no one in the room. It's just you, you, um, and the camera. But we're gonna give it we're gonna give it a whirl. It it'll be a little different than it was yesterday as well. Um, so anyway, anyway. Uh, if we haven't met, I am Nate, I'm the lead pastor of the Front Church. And maybe you're scoping this out because you're new, maybe you don't consider yourself particularly religious, maybe you're from another tradition, we're creating the Front for you. In fact, this is a great series and a great moment to come check out the Front Church because we're zooming out and we're talking about the entire Christian story, the big story. And it's a great moment to get a big idea of the big story. And so if that's you, man, we're so glad you're joining us. Also, maybe you watch online, but you consider yourself a part of the front. Man, we're so glad you watch online, but we so wish and want you to be in the building with us because there's just something about showing up week in and week out and meeting those other people, being in the room together starting to get to know one another a little bit. The community, that the seedlings of the community that are planted and begin to develop. And so I'd encourage you guys, come. come. We want to meet you. We want to talk to you. We want to see you again on Sunday morning. And I hope we see you this next week. We actually have some big news that we're going to share this next week with the people in the front. And so we would love for you to be in the room as well. But anyway... We are in a series on the big story, and we're doing this because every year as a church, we like to zoom out and take a look at the big story. And so um, um, this is based on a book by a guy named James Chong, and James Chong wrote a book called The Big Story of Christianity Worth Believing in, and also developed a tool to help people understand the big story of the Christian faith, but also a tool that helps Christians who might feel like they're fumbling around trying to explain what they believe to someone to actually have some kind of a framework for sharing the story. And so it's, it's, it's really good. Now, before we get to James Chung's tool, the big story, it's important for us to note that a, tr a short-sighted view of the story will produce a short-sighted view of our mission in the world. Now, many of you may have been introduced to the Christian story with something like this based on a passage in the Bible, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, and Christ Jesus our Lord. And this diagram helps explain that there is a gap between us and God, a gap that's caused by sin. And on our own, we can't bridge the gap. We can't try and earn enough good works, do enough good things to kind of hop over to God's side. And so what God does is God, in his mercy to us, knows we can't make it to him. So he sends Jesus, and Jesus dies on the cross for our sin, 
and offers us a free gift of his grace and forgiveness and mercy and eternal life. And this is a great introduction to the Christian story. Um, and if this is all you have as kind of like a way to tell other people about the Christian story, if you utilize this tool, this is a good tool to utilize. I just think it's a bit short-sighted because it, 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 well, here, let's go to the next slide here. What we want to do is we want to introduce a way of telling the story that doesn't just focus on our decision to accept Jesus' forgiveness and grace in our own lives, but moves us into a life of transformation. We want a way to tell the biblical story that doesn't just stop with an individual response, though an individual response is important. You and I and everyone else needs to decide how we're going to respond to Jesus' story. That's important, but we want a way of telling the story that doesn't just isn't just about individual response, but this is about community and community life and about life in God's community. We don't just want a way of telling the story that's primary focus is the afterlife, though again, that, might, that is important, but we want a way of telling the story that is also about our mission life and our life here and now because a short-sighted view of the story will produce a short-sighted view of our role in the world. And so we find this big story really compelling. Yesterday, I talked about this movie called The First Night. I really like this movie. It's from 1995. Maybe most of you haven't seen it. But it's a movie about King Arthur and Lancelot and Guinevere and a, and a villain named Malekith. And when King Arthur and Lancelot meet, King Arthur begins to show Lancelot around Camelot. And he shows Lancelot the the round table. And he says the round table is round because there's no head, there's no foot. All are equal around this table, even the king. And Lancelot goes and he looks at the table and he sees inscribed on the table the slogan, in serving each other we become free. And King Arthur says this is the very heart of Camelot. This is what Camelot is all about. You could tear it down, you could burn it down, and it still remains because Camelot is about in serving each other we become free. Well, as the story progresses, we meet another character in the story, and his name is Malagant. And Malagant used to sit at the round table, he used to sit with K King Arthur and his knights at the round table, he used to live by the slogan and serving one another, in serving each other, we become free. And then he decided to walk to the beat of his own drum. And we meet him, and he's pillaging villages, and he's doing his thing, and he's, he's really just concerned about being the god of his own life. And as, you, as we meet Malachan, him and King Arthur have this exchange. And King Arthur says to Malachan, dude, he doesn't say dude, but he says, there are laws that enslave men and laws that set them free. But Malagant knows of no higher law than himself in his search for power. There's a climactic mommy, mommy. <laughs> There's a climactic moment at the movie's end where Malagant and his forces try and lay hold of Camelot. And right before that battle scene, Malagant turns to the crowd and he says, Arthur says to you, serve one another. 
Well, when are you going to start living for yourselves? Now this is the freedom I bring. Freedom from Arthur's tyrannical dream. Freedom from Arthur's tyrannical law. And freedom from his tyrannical God. And then there's a big fight. But I, 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 love, this. I love this movie, First Night, because it's actually kind of picturesque of the biblical story. Because the biblical story, the heart of the biblical story is almost the heart of Camelot. It's in serving one another, we become free. At the heart of the biblical story, which we talked about this drawing last week, that we were designed to be in right relationship with one another. We're designed to be in right relationship with our world. And we're designed to be in right relationship with God. But we all know that that's actually not what the world looks like right now. The world looks broken. I mean, we see on the news all the time... Whether it's, whether it's Ukraine, Russia, whether it's Israel, Palestine, whether it's just another mass shooting, whether it's another person dying too soon to cancer, ALS, or any number of things. We see on the news and in our lives all the time the fact that it, does, it feels like it shouldn't be this way. There's a lot of brokenness. And so this first night movie reminds us of kind of what happens when instead of living in the harmony of Camelot and serving one another, we become free, we go rogue and do our own thing. And so uh, Genesis 3 and following, after we talked about Genesis 1 and 2 last week, kind of talk about what happened. It's the biblical story of what happened. And I know some of you guys, when you read Genesis it might be a little difficult for you because you're like, man, is the Bible anti-science or can I believe this or what do I believe about the Bible? Man, we have an incredible resource for you. In fact, you can find any of these resources on the frontchurch.com slash big story. But last year we did a series on how not to read the Bible. We did a specific message on is the Bible anti-science. And I would recommend that wholeheartedly as a resource for you. Um, um, as, as you navigate, like, well, can I, what, what do I do with the Genesis accounts? And how can I know if I can trust them or not? And um, there's a really excellent resource for you there. But um, Genesis 3 begins to answer in the biblical story what happens when we reject God to be our own God, when we pull a malignant instead of live in the harmony of Camelot. So that's where we're going to be going today. And we're going to start with this moment right before humanity chooses in the interest of themselves. When things were still good, it says, you, the serpent tempts Adam and Eve, says, you will certainly not die, the serpent says to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from this when you do what you want instead of what God has instructed and how God designed this to work, when you do what you want, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And in the Christian story, this is the primary temptation. This is the fundamental temptation, is to reject God's good design for us and to call the shots of our lives on our own. The temptation is to be our own God, to create our own values, to do what we want. Sometimes that means without regard for other people. And, and when we do this, we damage ourselves. Others are damaged. 
our relationship with others is damaged, our relationship with God is damaged, our relationship with creation is damaged. In the story that we read in Genesis 3, when there's when you choose against the design and in the interest of self, shame and blame enters the story. They hide from God. They're afraid of God now. Adam blames Eve. Eve and then he blames God. Eve tries to shift blame too. Shame and blame enter the story. But it gets even worse than that. Because in Genesis 4, we read that Cain kills his brother Abel. We read about the first murder. A little later in Genesis 4, we are introduced to this guy named Lamech. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain has avenged seven times and Lamech, seventy-seven times. And we encounter someone who doesn't just enact vengeance, but escalates vengeance. We also encounter in this moment the first instance of biblical, uh, or, or the first instance of polygamy in the Bible. Because the Bible doesn't prescribe, but it often describes when it happens. Things, when, when sin has entered the world, things have just begun to spiral. And that's, that's not the only thing. Lamech goes from escalating vengeance and polygamy to also, we see that the name Ada means ornament, and the name Zillah means shadow. Last week we talked about how in the Genesis account, God says to Adam, he says, I'm going to make a helper suitable for you. And he makes Eve. And how that sounds really weird in English. Because like, helper? Because that's some sort of second class situation. But we miss the incredible connotations that are present in the Hebrew language. Because in the Hebrew language, the term helper meant to save with strength. And so God is saying, I'm going to make someone for you that's going to save you with strength. This is an empowering, incredible word. In fact, when we run across that word in other instances in the Hebrew scriptures, we read about it as a descriptor of God and his role to his people, someone who saves with strength. But notice that we've gone from things being good and us being in right relationship with creation and with one another and with God to sin just spiraling out of control and being worse and worse and worse. And we got the first instance of polygamy. Women have gone from those who save with strength to an ornament and a shadow. All mistreatment of women is because of our, of our rebellion against the designer's plans. But wait, it, it gets even worse than this. We keep going and we're reminded God created human beings in his own image. In Genesis 2, we're reminded that God forms humanity from the dust of the ground and God breathed his breath into humanity to create living creatures. We are image bearers of God. We are made to reflect God to the world around us. In Genesis 4, it mentions how Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore a son. This is just a reference to sexual relations between Adam and his wife. And she conceives and bears a son. But look what happens. We just see the spiral get worse and worse and worse. In Genesis 2, it says, The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. We've gone from knowing to taking. We've gone from to save with strength to ornaments 
and shadows. It just keeps getting worse. And then you have this tragic passage in the Bible. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. The Lord regrets making human beings. That's, that's one of the most tragic verses in the whole biblical story. He's got a heart full of pain. But what's going on here? Well, here's the deal with God. God designed a world where love is forced. It's not forced, but it's chosen. And God loves us, and he wants us to love him because God knows that when we love him, that's what's actually best for us because he created us to have a relationship with him. But have you ever loved someone but they didn't really love me back? Man, I told the group yesterday that my first serious girlfriend, <laughs> I remember one evening I was like, I love you. And she told me, I can't say that yet. <laughs> now, I really lucked out because if you guys have met Robin, you were really glad that my first girlfriend situation didn't work out. And she, she was great. I mean, no disrespect to her or anything. I'm just thankful to God for Robin. But if you've been in those moments where you love someone and they don't feel the same about you, there's pain there. There's heartache. That hurts. And the Genesis account is just showing us the ugly whirlpool of sin. How God, how God created things to how he created them to function, us, Blessing creation, creation blessing us, us blessing one another, us in relationship with God, where we're blessed by him. And actually, he, in a sense, is blessed by relationship with us. He wants us and he loves us. But how it's all gone awry because we have chosen to go our way in the interest of self to do things how we want to do. Like Maligan, not working in harmony with Camelot, but actually running against the grain and the chaos and the war and the battle ensued. Man, it's, it's actually no newsflash to talk about the world being damaged by evil. We, we know this. Right? Like, this is probably the easiest sort of message to explain because we're like, well, yeah, Nate, of course the world's damaged by evil. You know? Creation is damaged. I mean, we see how instead of working kind of in harmony with creation, humanity and creation, where we, we, we seem to be a steward of creation, we exploit it, exploit it, and don't give much thought, and just, just kind of do what we want, when we want, without regard to the implications, or maybe our environmental implications, or other sorts of implications, we just kind of do, do what we want. We see our relationship with one another is, is damaged, and there's brokenness there. Someone hurts us, we hurt them back, right? We live for ourselves. It's, it's easy to take in the game without regard for others, our relationship is fractured. Uh, some people push back against the phrase, people are selfish. And, and, and when I say people are selfish, I don't mean every act of every person is always selfish. But what I mean is there's an inclination in our heart that to do the wrong thing, the wrong thing becomes the easiest thing to do. When we started looking inward, when we started choosing in the interest of self, sin entered the world. And sin is not like a bad choice. Sometimes we have a too small view of sin. But sin is like a disease 
that makes it easier to do the wrong thing than the right thing. And sin, sin enters the world. It's not how God designed it, but it's how things happen. And then this messes with our relationship with God. Because we have this perfect relationship with God, but then we decide we want to do what we want to do instead of what he wants us to do and how he designed things to go. And so this damages our relationship with God, and now we're afraid of God. Remember, we ignore him and we live for ourselves, or we're distant from him, or we feel far away from him, but um, without him, we'll never be who we were designed to be in relationship with him, in communion with him. So it's easy to see that the world's damaged by evil. But I think what's actually hard to do is to look inside and face the reality within that we, you, me, we are damaged by evil. It's easy to look out at the world and think they're the problem. That's what's wrong with the world. Or, oh man, look at all the brokenness. And it's, it's okay to be grieved by that and to see and address problems. But it's easier to do that than to look inside and think maybe we have something within us that is also the problem. It's easy to split the world up between good guys and bad guys. But it's hard to think, actually, maybe the sin that runs rampant in the world, the disease that makes it easier to do the, the wrong thing than the right thing, isn't just out there, but it's also in here. Maybe I'm not just observing the problem, but maybe in some ways I'm part of the problem. And yesterday was Communion Sunday. And I love Communion Sunday. It joins us with the church historically that has practiced this for 2,000 years, remembering Jesus' body broken for us on the cross and Jesus' blood poured out for us on the cross. It joins us with the church globally, reminding us that Jesus' people look different, act different, speak different languages, they're from different cultures, they're from different nations. It reminds us of the global family we're part of. But the reason that the church returns to this again and again and again is because of Jesus' words about it. Jesus said when he took the bread, this is, this is my body broken for you. And then when Jesus took the cup, he said, this is the, my blood which is poured out for you. See, communion, the reason we take it again and again and again is it's a reminder of why Jesus went to the cross. And Jesus went to the cross not because we were sinners once and now we're now we live perfect lives because we know that's not the case too. But Jesus went to the cross because, because the, the cross says, hey, sin separated me from God. I still, I still struggle with sin and I will continue to struggle with sin and I need the grace of God to watch me so that I can be in right relationship with God. I need God to interrupt the sin of my own life and my own heart to begin to help me to walk in the freedom that he has for me. The cross frees us to actually have an honest look with him. Without, without the cross, 
it's too scary to look within. Without the cross, it's too scary to look at the darkness within and the sin within and have an honest assessment about it. Because we begin to wrap our identities around all our shortcomings and failures and the things we struggle with the most. And without the cross, we that could just be a spiral into uh, depression and heartache and believing a lot of lies about ourselves. But with the cross, the cross not only says we needed Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, but the cross reminds us that God loved us so much that he gave himself for us. The cross reminds us that God gets to mark us by grace. God gets to declare our values. God value. God gets to decide who we are worth it and proclaim that. In light of the cross, we can look honestly at the darkness within and begin to honestly assess what's going on in here. If we don't do that, the, the, the cycles of violence and brokenness and evil will continue to self-perpetuate because we'll always see the problem as out there and we'll never take an honest assessment about the problem in here. But with the cross, oh my goodness, you guys, with the cross, the potential, the potential for, for to be known well, I said yesterday how the type of intimacy that we all long for, to be truly known, warts and all, every onion layer peeled back, the potential for that type of intimacy, and I don't mean like romantic intimacy, I just mean being known, good friends, deep relationships, that's on the other side of the cross. Because the cross frees us to be radically honest about all the things. The potential for incredible close relationship is there. Now, of course, like, first time you meet someone who's following Jesus and you're following Jesus, do you, like, peel back every onion layer of all of who you are and reveal it all and all? Probably not, right? Like, the church struggles with being this radically honest with one another, but the potential is there, and the potential is there because the cross makes it possible. Miroslav Volf as a theologian who says, enormous problems happen when I exclude my enemy from the community of humans and when I exclude myself from the community of sinners. When I forget that my enemy is not a subhuman monster, but a human being. When I forget that I am not a perfect good, but also a flawed person. If we don't honestly assess the darkness and the sin within, it creates a world that perpetuates us and them and perpetuates the problems we're all we're, we're already dealing with. Uh, G.K. Chesterton was a, a Christian doc leader in the early 1900s, and he wrote several books, and people would ask his opinion on things. And one time, a newspaper columnist reached out to G.K. Chesterton and said, can you write around what's wrong with the world? Right? Give us some writing about what's wrong with the world. And G.K. Chesterton actually just wrote a short letter back to the newspaper person Dear sir, I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton. And I find that so profound a statement because that is the reality, and that's the reality that Jesus invites us to look at on a Sunday like Communion Sunday. That's the reality Jesus invites us to look like as part of the big Christian story, is that, yes, he created things good. He created us to be in right relationship with him, with one another, and with our world. And yes, the world is broken. And now there's 
now, now, now our relationship with him is damaged. Our relationship with one another is damaged. And our relationship with the world is damaged. But he is not scrapping or trashing the project. That's why we're talking about the big story. This is just part two of a five-week series. We're talking about how he intends to restore things for better, and he's at work to do that now. And so I would just invite you to consider, what's your next step? Maybe your next step is, is an honest assessment with what's going on in here, but in light of the cross. You've been too scared to do it before, but that's because you're, you've entangled your value into failures or shortcomings or things you struggle with. But maybe your next step is detangling those and recognizing Jesus has spoken your value on the cross. Jesus has spoken your worth on the cross. Jesus is offering you grace and forgiveness and 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 and. And to wash you clean and to mark you with that, not just once, but once and always, mark you with his grace and his forgiveness. And the step for you is just to receive it. Say, Jesus, I receive your grace. I'm going to let you proclaim my value. I need my relationship with you restored. I accept your sacrifice for me on the cross. Come into my life. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is to join a community group. We don't just do community groups to hang out. We do hang out. We have a good time. But community groups afford us an opportunity to be in relationship with one another. And we don't just dive super deep and reveal everything going on, but community creates a seedbed for those types of close friendships to be possible. Because the cross gives us, it, it creates the potential for us to be radically honest with one another about the deepest things going on in our hearts. It, the, the potential for deep relationship is created because of the cross, and without it, we just want to hide. Maybe it's another next step for you. I, I don't know. And I can tell you, the only thing that will enable us to do a radically honest assessment of the interior of our heart the, and the only thing that will keep us from being overwhelmed by what we see is the cross of Jesus. But it's also the only thing that can interrupt the brokenness and begin to do something new. So I can't wait to see you guys soon. And let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your work. Thank you for the work you're doing in the world, and thank you that even when we chose against you and we can and when we can continue to choose against you, you don't forget us or neglect us, but, but you are at work to do something new, and you want us to be a part of it, and you love us, and you desire for us to be a part of it. I pray for those of us that need to take you up on your invitation to mark us by grace and declare your value over us and receive you into our lives. Jesus, we receive you into our lives. For those of us that need to take a next step into Christian community, whether that's a community group or just getting to know more people from the front a little bit better, or maybe serving at the food pantry coming up, or maybe going to the men's breakfast, or just, or maybe even just beginning to show up on a Sunday morning instead of watch online, because we need the possibility of those relationships. I pray that we would take the next step we need to take. And Jesus, we thank you that you meet us there, that you love us, and that you aren't done with us, and you aren't done with our world.
at work to make it new and restore all things in your name. Amen. See you guys soon.